wonderful to sing about the faithfulness of God, to be able to remind those who are here, perhaps for the first time, that in our life and that in the walk that we have, that we are not alone, that no matter the paths that we travel, God has already gone before us. And there's nothing that's going to surprise Him. Nothing that happened this last week caught God off guard. Do you realize that? Nothing that happened surprised God. It wasn't that you woke up and experienced some perhaps great change, a transition came into your life that you weren't expecting, and, and all of a sudden God up in heaven looks down and says, wait a minute, I didn't know it was happening. No, see, he, He's been preparing you. He has been molding you. He has been bringing people into your life. He has been pouring Scripture into you, getting you ready for what happened this last week and preparing you for what's going to happen the next because He's faithful. And so as the Sawyer family said goodbye to Mr. Howard, he did not catch God off guard. And he had been preparing Miss Joanne and the rest of the family for this moment, just as he was preparing Howard. And when we talk about sending new people off into new mission opportunities, and we talk about the possibility of, of being able to have again a a couple that is, that is ours, that, that is a part of the family here, that going off to a, to a strange place, to a, a, a strange culture in order to, to share the love of God with people who are there, God's already been there. God's already been preparing the ground. And for Tim and Jesse, it's not going to be their strength. It's not going to be by their might. It's not going to be by their words that change takes place. But it's because God has already been there and God has already been preparing. And God has been preparing them all along this journey and will continue no matter where that journey might lead. Great is the faithfulness of God. And so I love how when we sing that song, you know, it ends in crescendo, right? And it ends in a great crescendo where it seems as if when that happens, that it's right to be standing and it's right to be, to be singing to the top of our lungs. And I want us to do it again. I want you to think about how God has been faithful to you this last week. And I want us to sing the, um, the last verse, guys, if you would go ahead and, and re-roll that uh, through our uh, slide system there. And we're going to sing the last verse and, and then we're going to end with that crescendo. And I want you to think about this part here where it says, pardon for sin and peace that endureth. And the faithfulness of God in the fact, as you're going to see in here in just a minute, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For God is faithful. How loud can we sing that today? Let's stand together.
how you've been behind us and how you're with us at this very moment. It is in your name that we give thanks. Amen. Please be seated. I appreciate the way that you sang that and for the, the energy that you expressed and the emotion that was, that was there. Because our time for the next few minutes is going to be high emotion. And it's going to be high energy because my kids like commercials, all right? Specifically my youngest, and he likes infomercials. You know, the kind where they sell the best garden holes you'll ever have in your life, and you can have it now for $19.95. Or ShamWow. Remember that? That was about 10 years ago or so. ShamWow commercials were all over the television. And your life was going to be, it was going to be so poor, and it was going to be just so ordinary if you did not get a ShamWow. Because if you had a ShamWow, you could clean up any spills, and you could handle any problem that came along. And you needed a ShamWow, and you had to have a ShamWow for only $19.95. And then you know what comes next, right? But wait, there's more. If you call now, and that's something that my kids love as they're watching these, how that it builds up and it builds up. And then it's like, but wait a minute, if you call right now, you can get something a little bit extra. We'll throw in uh, a garden gnome or something for you to have. It's going to be wonderful and you can do this. And I thought, why do my kids like these things? And then I went into our... Uh, laundry area. And I remembered, oh yeah, I, I bought the ShamWow. Um, and in fact, I think it was, what, this next slide here. Um, I got eight of them. Yeah. I got eight of them for nineteen for nineteen ninety five. They were not sold in stores. They were made in Germany. And I was told to beware of imitations. And I didn't want to get something that was like ShamWow. I didn't want to have something that was kind of ShamWow. I didn't want to get a ShamWee. I wanted ShamWow. But my life hasn't changed. I got to be honest with you. Now, I've cleaned up some spills, and, and, and there was this one wonderful moment when we had just gotten uh, Tanya's car, and we had taken it home, and uh, the next day we come out and there was a, a leak on the inside from the air conditioner and there was water all in the passenger floorboard. We were like, what are we going to do? I was like, wait. <laughs> this is the moment. This is what I've been preparing for. This, 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 everything's been leading up. Notice I only have one ShamWow now. Because I had seven of them in that floorboard. And and, and I tell you, it was, they were soaking up water and and I was trying to wring them out and it was soaking up water and and wringing them out and and I was calling to Tanya, bring me another ShamWow! And we were throwing it in there. But my life didn't change. My life didn't change. See, you walked in this morning and you were handed a glory, praise, and honor. And on that, 
you look down and you glance through to see which songs we would be singing and, and you started looking through to see the different announcements, maybe different events that were coming up. And, and then you look down to see, well, what's the title of the lesson this morning? And, and you saw on it three words that will change your life. And you thought, oh yeah, I remember that. Chris made some mention of it last week, how that everybody had to be back. And, and you know, I've even been told there are people right now in between Atlanta and Valdosta who are listening right now in their cars because they want to know the three words that'll change their life. They said, we're going to listen because we got to know what they are. And I had people yesterday asking me at camp, what are the three words? We got to know the three, what are the three words? We're not going to be there tomorrow. What are the three words going to be? And you saw it on there, three words that could change your life. You're like, what are they going to be? Will they really change my life? And then you sat out and you thought, no, they won't. Because you've bought a ShamWow. You've got the garden hose. You've got that putty stuff that's supposed to stop any leaks. You've got the car wax that is supposed to have that lifetime shine. You've bought it all, and yet your life didn't change. And so you read three words that'll change your life, and you're like, okay, whatever. So here's what I'm asking of you this morning. Don't fast forward or change the channel. Don't tune me out right away because you've already decided that what I'm selling isn't going to work. Don't do that. Give it a chance. Because just maybe, just perhaps, all of the other things that you have been sold are the imitation. And the words that you will discover this morning are the real deal. Open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, we've already read from it this morning, but we're going to camp out in this chapter. And we're going to do this because Paul makes a claim that on face value seems like it has to be an infomercial. It seems like he's selling a bill of goods because it just sounds too good to be true. See, for seven chapters, he has, been, he has been pouring out the truth to the Christians in Rome that there is no one who is righteous, nobody, not even grandma, nana, papa, whoever it might be, they're not righteous either. He says, Jews, you stand condemned. Gentiles, you stand condemned. Or as one speaker I heard recently say, to just put it bluntly, he basically told Jews and Gentiles alike, you're all going to hell. That's the first seven chapters in Romans. And then he comes to what we know as chapter 8, this midway point in his letter, and he says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it sounds too good to be true. Really? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus after everything that you've just told us, the situation that we have, and now you're going to say that in Christ everything is all right? When he says there's no condemnation, he uses a word that deals with penalty, that deals with punishment. He's let up saying you're guilty, and now he's saying, but you're not going to be punished because of it. 
He's been leading up this whole time talking about sin and how that everyone stands guilty and condemned because all have sinned, he says, and fallen short of the glory of God. And he uses a term in the early writings in this letter that talk about an archer aiming at the target and missing. In our translations, we know that is sin. They picture a missed target. I know something about missing targets. We have uh, Kevin Lee who... Uh, was up just a few minutes ago sharing about the different things that are happening within our body and leading us in in prayer for those things. Uh, He has offered in the past and will again in the future a time to come and and learn archery, something that we offer here at our campus and people from the community, people here within our church family can come and, and, and learn archery one night a week. Kids, adults, it doesn't matter. One night I decided since my kids were participating, I might go down and, and just kind of try it out. And, and all of a sudden Kevin says, well, your left eye dominant or your right eye dominant? And I'm like, well, I thought I was both eyes dominant. I mean, they, they all work pretty well, I thought. And he goes, no, no, no. Uh, he said, have you ever been a, you know, a hunter or anything like that? And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. My people don't do that. Some of your people might do that. You know, the type that go out into the woods and chop down trees and build their own homes. That's... That's not, that's not my people. I, I fix things because I have Google and a cell phone. That's how I fix things, all right? So uh, he says, we got to figure out if you're left eye dominant or right eye dominant. And so we do this little square th- or triangle thing and we're looking and, and so we decide which one I am and he, he, he hands me the correct, the correct bow and I didn't know you could have left ones and right ones, but apparently you can. And, and so then he teaches me the proper way to, to draw an arrow up and, and the proper way to, to put it there and, 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 we're, and we're doing all the pullbacks and the suck-ins and getting it all ready and, and I am aiming at that target and I let fly. And I promise I was aiming at the target. But it didn't hit the target. It didn't hit the other people's target. It hit the the, the big sheet that was behind to protect any strays that might be walking behind and and not realize what was taking place. Well, I just figured that, well, apparently that's not my dominant eye, right? I mean, otherwise, I I would have hit that. And so, let me just get a different bow. And so I go and I get the opposite bow and, and I try again and, and here I go and, and, and I get ready and I draw and I suck in and, and I get my mouth just right and, and I, I aim again and I let go. This one didn't even make it to the sheet. It hit about 10 feet in front of me and then just skipped across our, our gym floor. And so I came to the only conclusion that I could. We need to take up a special offering to get Kevin better equipment. Yeah, I mean, we've got this ministry, and, and, and we, we've got faulty equipment. We've got bad arrows, and we've got, we've got inferior bows, and we need to do something about it. Because I shouldn't miss. I should be able to aim at that target and, and hit it. You know, we do the same thing in our life when it comes to seeing the righteousness of God and, and aiming for that target and saying, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be patient and I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be more forgiving. I'm going to make sure there's love in my life. I'm going to take care of my anger issues. And I aim and I fire and Monday I miss and Tuesday I miss and Wednesday I miss. But guess what? The fault isn't mine. The fault is yours. The fault is my boss's. The fault is that person that cut me off in traffic. The, uh, the fault is with the elders. The, the fault is with my parents. 
The default is with anybody but me because I shouldn't aim and miss. And Paul says, listen, you're all going to aim and miss. I know something about that. And so do you. You've experienced in your life. And it wells up with inside Paul. And at the end of chapter 7, here's the, the, the feelings that he expresses. He says, I don't know what I am doing. I do what I don't want to do. He says, I don't think I'm really the one doing the one that's wrong. It's the sin that's living within me that does it. He said, but I've discovered this principle in life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is a power within me that is at war with my mind. And this power makes me a slave to the sin that's within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Whose will save me from this body of sin? Can you feel the emotion that's building up after he aims and misses and aims and misses? And you know what it feels like because you did it just this last week. It happened in your bedroom. It, it, it happened in your backyard. It, it happened when you were in the office. It, it happened when you were driving down the road. It, it happened in conversations that you had with friend and foe alike. You know what it's like to aim at the target of the righteousness of God and miss. And to have that guilt and to have that sadness and to wonder who in the world is going to be able to save me. And it's in this context then that he writes and says, it's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. The answer is Jesus Christ, my Lord. No punishment. No penalty. C.S. Lewis, when describing his radio addresses of the 1940s that would eventually end up being the foundation of his mere Christianity, said that he was attempting to convince people that there is a moral law that we disobey it, and the existence of a lawgiver is at least very probable and also imparts despair rather than comfort. He says there is a law given by a lawgiver, and we can't keep the law. He says, and that should bring you despair. There shouldn't be any comfort in your lives. But then he ends this thought by saying, unless, unless you add the Christian doctrine of atonement. He's saying, unless Jesus is real, unless it's true that salvation is found in no other name, unless what took place on the cross truly did blot out all the transgression, he said, then there should be despair and not comfort. And Paul says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So why did I say that there are going to be three words that could change your life? It's because you know what it means to aim and to miss. You know what it means to live with your own sin. You know what it means to struggle, whether it be in addiction or whether it be just in being able to finally focus and just be able to open up Scripture and have private time with God. You know what it means to set goals. You know what it means to see what the law says. And so you need some words that will change your life. Here's the first one. Freed. F-R-E-E-D. Paul says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. 
For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. We are free, it says, from the consequences and the penalty and the punishment that our sin deserves. We are free to be imperfectly perfect or imperfect perfections. I love that Calvin Krim enjoys asking people in his Bible class, how many perfect people do we have in here today? Some of you have been in his class before, and I tell you, you could not get your hand up for nothing, right? Who's perfect in here? And you're like, oh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not perfect. I, I, I can't do it all. Unless you were an only child, and then you guys were like, oh, no, right here. I don't know about what's wrong with the rest of you, but I am perfect. My mama told me so. And he asked, who's perfect? And it's hard to get that hand up because we see our imperfections. But here is what Christ has done. There is freedom now for us to be imperfect perfections. We are God's workmanship, it says in Ephesians 2 and verse 10. We are his masterpiece. It's a word that he uses that talks about God as an artist, created him a poem, and we are his creation, and we are what has been created by God, and we spiritually have been created and renewed perfect. Is there imperfection still in our life? Yes, but as God looks and sees us, he does not see the imperfection. Instead, he sees the perfection because we are his perfect work of art. You say, but I'm imperfect and I missed the mark. That's true. And you will continue to do so. But in Christ, I am free from the consequences of aiming and missing. I don't live with that guilt. I don't live with that anxiousness. I can echo Hebrews 10, 22 and draw near to God with a sincere heart, with a full assurance of faith, having my heart sprinkled to cleanse me from a guilty conscience and having my body washed with pure water. It saddens me to no end when I get the phone call. I get the phone call from someone who's calling for their, their mother or father who is perhaps elderly and passing away. And they say, Chris, would you come to the hospice center? Would you come to the hospital and talk to my mom? Because she's so concerned about what's coming next. And I'll say, I've, I've known your mom for a long time. And I know the faith that she has in Christ. And I know that how she has trusted her Lord for salvation for so many years. And how she's passed that faith along to you and her grandkids. And, and on the other end, you've told me before, oh, I know, I know. But she just needs to be reassured. Because she's afraid she hasn't done enough. That conversation saddens me. Because Christians should be able to face the passing from this life into the next with joy. As I heard it talked about recently at one woman's funeral. That when she was looking at death being imminent. It wasn't something that she tried to run from. It wasn't something that she tried to avoid. Instead, she opened the door from death and said, where have you been? I've been waiting on you. Where have you been? I've been waiting because I've got a Savior to see. And I've got a family to be reunited with. Because she's been freed. Been set free. You see, my desire to be Christ-like and to hit the mark is not diminished by my acknowledging my inability to consistently do so. But my motivation for righteousness begins to change. I am not trying to live holy and righteous in order to earn the favor of God, but I am living and walking in the footsteps of Jesus because I am so grateful and I am so thankful 
And there is an awe and there is a reverence in my life because I realize I have been set free. Christ's disciples are expected to reflect Christ's character. But on those days when I look more like Chris and less like Jesus, I need to remember that I am freed. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We've been freed to live, it says, by the power of the Spirit. That's your next word empowered. He says, those who are dominated, verse 5, by the sinful nature think only about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about the things that pleases the Spirit. You look on down to verse 11, it says, just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Earlier there in that chapter, it says, listen, if you are in Christ, you have the Spirit living within you. And it is past time for the people of God to live as if the Spirit of God lives within them. To live with the understanding that, yes, I am empowered by the very Spirit that brought life to Jesus Christ. But living in that power, it's not just a truth to be received, it's a relationship to be developed. But that's the difficult part for us, right? I know when I try to go out and play golf, I get all these different ideas in my head and I go out and I swing and I swing and I practice and I swing and just nothing. It doesn't matter which hole I'm on. One hole will be pretty good. The next hole, not that great. And it seems like even though I read the magazines and even though I, I, I watched the, the pros, I just can't do it like them. And yet when you learn about the life of a pro, when you learn about the life of someone who dedicates themselves to golf, of, of Parker Brandt, He doesn't just read magazine articles and go out and hit a few golf balls. And he goes and spends hours working on just the right grip and just the right stance and just the right swing so that when he goes out on the course, he's not thinking a hundred different things. He has one thought in mind and it's all about trusting the swing that he has practiced so many times. And just like Parker, just like any professional, There are things that you and I can do to practice in listening to God's Spirit. Just like you're doing right now as you're opening up the Word and you're allowing that Word to speak to you. And sometimes you guys come out and you say, man, that message just really spoke to me today. You understand that that has nothing to do with me or any ability that I have, but everything to do with the Spirit of God, knowing exactly what you need to hear. And taking that message and presenting it in a way to your very core that you're able to be strengthened and you're able to be lifted up. No, we don't have your house bugged. At least not all of you. But we do have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And so when we engage in things such as fasting, when we spend time in celebration, when we meditate on the Word of God, when we allow our thoughts and our focus to go to things of the Spirit, that empowerment of the Spirit begins to fuel us and it begins to be something that empowers us to be able to actually live out the different fruit that's being displayed. See, because the measurement of whether or not I am living in a Spirit-filled life is not determined by how many rules that I keep or how guilty I feel or how many times that I go to church. The true assessment of living an empowered life by the Spirit is all about the production of the Spirit's fruits in my life. The love, the joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
And at the end of that passage of Scripture in Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. In chapter 7, Paul says, I try and I fail. I try, I fail. I try and I fail. And it's all about I, I, I. And in chapter 8, in the first 15 verses, he uses the word Spirit 13 times. Because the same Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and empowers you to live a life of joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. And I want to live that life. That's the kind of life I want to have with Tanya. It's the kind of life that I want to have with Emily and Micah. It's the kind of life that I want to be able to experience with each and every one of you. And you want to have that life, right? That's the life that you desire to have. And it's a life that can be yours, empowered by the Spirit. Hey, our time's running out. Let me give you a third word. It's loved. And I've known for a good while that I would just have a few minutes to be able this morning to talk to you about these three words. And now I've only got about five left, and I'm trying to figure out how do you talk about something that everybody knows about. And maybe that's how Paul felt when he gets to the end of this particular part of his letter, because he starts writing differently. And he begins to have run-on sentences, and he begins to make all of these exclamatory statements. He's trying to prove God's love because he knows if we could just get it, that it would change everything about us. And so he says in verse 31, what shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? And you can make your list, right? You can make your list of all the people that are against you. I mean, I can. I'm a preacher. I know who's against me, right? You know who's against you. But notice the context. It says, who can be against you if God is for you? If God is for you, who can actually stand up against you? And so you wake up and the kids are already fighting and they're arguing and you're tired. But God is with you. You've got a stressful day planned for tomorrow already. You know it's going to be a demanding week. You're going to have to travel. You're going to be in unfamiliar situations. But God is for you. And maybe your health is not what you would like it to be. And you've been sick so long, you've forgotten what normal is like. But who can be against you if God is for you? He's on your side. And if God is for us, then why do we worry about the smaller things in our life? Because it says that he did not even spare his own son. And the phrase that's listed there is one that would make the Jews think about and understand that, listen, he's referring back to Genesis with Abraham and Isaac because the same wording is used there in Genesis 22. When Isaac is spared because of the messenger of God that comes, he looks at Abraham and says, you didn't even spare your own son. And Paul's saying, listen, think back to the greatest act, the greatest honor, the greatest piece of loyalty in our sacred history, and that's what God's loyalty is like to you. You think, who are we that we should be living that way? Who are we that aim and miss that God should love us in that way? Paul reminds us in verses 34 and 35 that there are all these things that can, can happen in our life, that can come up, all these different tragedies, all the different types of persecutions that he lays out for the people specific to them there. He says, but listen, there is no way that any of these things can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And we've studied this, and we know it, and we've heard it, but I just wish that we could understand it, that the God of heaven says that we are more than conquerors because he loved us. And that wording is specific. It says he loved us. It doesn't say he loves us. He loved, in the original language, it points back to a specific thing, a specific place in the past. 
It anchors, Paul does, what he's saying in Calvary and what Jesus did on the cross. And he says, if you've ever wondered if God loved you, he proved it once and for all, for all time, because of what happened with Jesus on the cross. We're loved people. And shouldn't that change our lives? Because if we really understood what that was like, to be set free like that and to be empowered like that and to be loved like that, I think we would have joy despite all the different circumstances in our life. The health problems, the financial struggles, the the family conflict. Because at the end of the day, we're still loved and we're still empowered and we're still set free. And if we really understood this, I think that we would just have a better peace of understanding in our life. So the stock market can go up and down and elections can come and go and all the different events of the world can spin out of control. But we are freed and we are empowered and we are loved. And that has not changed. I think we would be people of less bitterness and we would understand what it means to be gracious and loving and forgiving towards others. I mean, I really believe that if we understood that we were freed, empowered, and loved, that everything would change. Because no matter what you've been sold before, and no matter what you're going through in your life, you're freed, you're empowered, and you're loved. This is the point that I get to and I have to say, but wait, there's more. Because if you kept reading the chapter, if we had more time, you'd find out that you're also transformed and you're also adopted. And all of this can be yours. Something that's good for. All of this can be yours. Guys, not for 1995. But all of this can be yours in Christ Jesus. Freedom is only found in Christ. Empowerment for living is only found in Christ. A love that endures forever is only found in Christ. And if you came here today looking for life change, if you have been in a a place in your life where you said, "I, I wish things were just different and I don't understand where I'm going and the direction that I'm going and I need to go and find myself, then can I ask you, will you go to Scripture? Will you go and look at the Gospel of John? Will you sit down in the Gospel of Mark? Will you read through the Gospel of Matthew? Will you open up the Gospel of Luke? Will you walk in the footsteps of Jesus? And will you begin to come to understand and know and talk with and converse with and live alongside the only place that true life is found in Christ and so Paul would write to Christians and he would say in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith for all of you who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ He said, if you've been baptized into Christ, then you have been freed. And you no longer have the consequences of sin on your soul. If you've been baptized into Christ, you have been empowered. And the very spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead lives within you. If you've been baptized into Christ, then you have experienced the breadth and the depth and the full amount of the very love of God. And friends, if that's not enough to change your life, then you will never find it. For now there is no condemnation for those 
who are in Christ Jesus. Would you like to come and praise God because of what he's done in your life? Would you like to come and be baptized into Christ this morning, experiencing those words and so much more? Whatever your need might be. Derek's going to lead us. We're going to sing and encourage one another. Come as we stand and worship.